If you uh, have a Bible this morning, you want to turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Mark chapter 16. It says this, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thanks for this morning. Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the chance to study your word. And I pray that this morning you would just teach us from your word, encourage us with it, help us with it. Lord, thanks for what it tells us this morning and the hope that we can have. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will bring you Praise and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thankfully, this morning I have nothing new to share, but something very old and something very true. Jesus' resurrection. And this morning I just want you to take it in. That's why we read it twice. The accounts in Matthew and in Mark. We want to take it in. We want to think it in. And we want to trust it again. Or maybe trust it for the first time. I mean, when, the, when, when we come to a service like this, especially on Easter, uh, come, even if you come to church uh, Sunday after Sunday for your entire life or for the last 25, 30 years, uh, we, everyone, we, we come into a service for Easter, any church service really, with uh, a, a number of different ways that we think about faith. Some of you may have come in here with this uh, a sense, and some people do, they come in very skeptical. Uh, they're just uh, they're very skeptical about what it's about, what it says, if there's really any truth to it. Some people would come in very sentimental. I mean, just you, you like it. It's Easter Sunday. There's uh, Barbie put the tomb up in the back again. We got some flowers. It's just different. It's just it's Easter. This is what you do. It's just a very sentimental story. You want to hear the story about Jesus, and, and it's just, just cozy, and it's comfortable. And people will come in and listen uh, to the Easter story and the story of the resurrection with a very sentimental attitude. It feels good. It's comforting to them. Some will also come in seeking they, they, they've heard of Jesus, and, they, and they're, they're close to connecting, thinking maybe, maybe there's, there is truth to what he says. So people come in skeptical. Some people come in just with sentiment. Some people come in seeking. And some come in surrendered, where they believed it. They've accepted it. And they've committed their lives 
to the story and the truth of Jesus and his resurrection. I mean, it's a, it's a breathtaking story. The story is that we believe a man came to earth, lived, taught, got some followers, did well, was beat to a pulp, hung on a cross, cast into a tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead, physically and bodily. It's a breathtaking story. And the tomb is empty. One author had said, so far as the casual spectator late on the afternoon of the execution of Jesus could have seen Jesus' work for the average spectator on that Friday looked like it had ended in failure. But the story does not end there. The, the apostle Paul, who was a complete anti-believer in the resurrection, didn't believe who Jesus was, came to believe who Jesus was, gave his life to the truth of who he believed Jesus was. And he said, as we read earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, our faith is futile. Everything about Christianity hinges on the resurrection. The physical, bodily resurrection in real historical time of Jesus of Nazareth. That's where Christianity hinges on. If the resurrection isn't true, none of it is true. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true of infinite importance. The only thing it can't be is moderately important. This is about my 13th, 12th or 13th Easter sermon. And every time I know what we're going to talk about, it's, it's the resurrection. So I spend the week and the weeks before that reading the story again, looking at the scriptures Again, and I, and I say every single time as I start to look at this, do I really believe this? Is this really true? Do I really believe that a man rose from the dead? Is it, is it true? And I spend the whole week looking at it, preparing, questioning, even doubting and observing it. And, and every week again. But in fact, as the Bible says, it is true. Christ has been raised bodily and fully. This confirms then all that is said. The resurrection confirms then all that Jesus said in his life about life, about sin, about forgiveness, about salvation, about hope, about eternity. It, it, if Jesus rose from the dead, then everything Jesus said is true. And everything he said about life is true. And this morning, I just want us to look again at the story, look and think about it again, and encourage you. And we're just going to hang. There's so many thoughts you could put for, uh, about the resurrection. So I'm going to hang them on three words. Uh, believable, beautiful, and beneficial. And I just want us to breathe it in again. As we come to the story, and you may come questioning, wondering, skeptical, sentimental, seeking, or surrendered to it, 
But the resurrection is believable, the resurrection is beautiful, and the resurrection of Jesus is beneficial. First, it's believable. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is believable. When Mark wrote his gospel, he was writing it to a group of people who later on, after the fact of Jesus' story, they were going through persecution and troubles, and he's writing this, them an account of the life of Jesus. And in verse 16, it says, when the, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, these women, that they came on that morning after the crucifixion, they came to the tomb. And these women were distraught. They were, this was not what they thought was going to be happening. This is not the picture that they thought they would be experiencing, even though numerous times, even in Mark's gospel, he, Jesus had said to them, he had plainly taught that this was where he was heading, but they were distraught. These were determined women. These were the women who had followed Jesus all along. They stayed with him. They were the ones who actually stayed with Jesus at the cross. They, they had followed him all the way through. They were distraught. They were determined. They were dependable. They were true followers of Jesus. And as they were walking that morning, they, they, they came with spices to help preserve the stench of a dead body at the tomb. And as they're coming, they're thinking about all these things, and what comes into their mind is, they, who's going to move the, the stone? Who's going to move the stone? But a, but a huge, large stone, it would have probably fallen into a crevice, they would have rolled it in front of it, uh, if it was round or however it was, but it was bigger than that they thought that they could move it themselves, and that was their question, who's going to move the stone? These were the things that were going on in their minds. They were coming to bring spices to a tomb that they weren't even sure that they could get open because they knew inside that tomb, in their minds, there was a dead body who was Jesus, who they had followed. And they get there, and it's already opened. And they are absolutely alarmed, it says. The word is almost, it's just they're dumbfounded. How, how could this be? Why is it this way? It's an empty, it's open tomb. They walk in, they get in it. There's an angel in just glowing white and brightness, and he's telling them that Jesus is risen from the dead, and they are alarmed, or they're dumbfounded by this. Why are they so alarmed, and why are they so dumbfounded by this, especially after all the stuff that Jesus had said to them? They weren't expecting a resurrection. It wasn't in their mentality. It wasn't how they thought it was going to be. There was two groups of people living in that time around Jesus. There was the Greeks and the Jews. The Greeks did not have an understanding of resurrection. For a Greek person, they would have thought the body is bad and so they couldn't wait to get out of their bodies and be free to be in their spirits and to live and have the ex existence that they always wanted. So for a Greek person, they wouldn't have understood resurrection. They would have thought it was a bad thing. Why would you want your body to be resurrected? You need to be freed from your body and be released so then you can accomplish what you really want to accomplish. But for the Jews, which these ladies would have been, they had this belief yeah, they believed in a resurrection. The Old Testament talked about a resurrection, but it wasn't an individual resurrection. It was going to be a whole corporate resurrection of all the people of God, all the nation of Israel at the end. They had no idea. They weren't expecting that someone in the middle of this was going to rise from the dead. So the, the followers of Jesus went to the tomb with great alarm because they weren't expecting to find an empty tomb. The stone was rolled away. 
not to let Jesus out, but to let them in, to let them see that it was empty. And the one question that they had was what happened. I was reading and studying this Tuesday afternoon at a restaurant in, uh, in, in Yorkville, I looked up, and while this was going on, there was a, the news was talking about the big subway shooting this past week in New York City, and they had the new sky in front of all these lights and cameras and fire engines and ambulances, and he's talking about what happened, and he's going on, and he said, the one question is, with all the cameras, everybody, thousands of people everywhere, he goes, the, the, the one question is, where did this guy go? How did he get out of the subway? This was the same question that these women had when they went, walked in, saw this empty tomb. Their question is, where did Jesus go? How did the tomb get empty? How can this be a believable story? As soon as all this took place, just like in today, there would have been all kinds of conspiracy theories, and there were conspiracy theories. Did Jesus really empty the tomb himself? The, 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 the theories came out quickly. Many people said that the Roman authorities would have removed it. That's who took it. They, they took Jesus' body out. But why would they do that? They, the, the, the one thing the Roman authorities wanted to do was to prove that, hey, we know how to kill people. We crucify people. We have it down to a science. The last thing that they would want people to know is that Jesus rose from the dead. So the Roman authorities had no reason to steal the body of Jesus. People, others said his persecutors did it. Maybe the Jewish leaders did it. But why would they do it? They wanted Jesus dead, and they wanted everybody to know that Jesus was dead. He was causing them too much trouble. Then people would say, well, his followers did it. They snuck in. But Jerusalem, at the time of Jesus' death, was filled with hostility towards Jesus. These guys were scared to death. They were in any way, shape, or form willing to risk in that moment go steal his body. There was guards in front of it. And the fourth one was maybe the view came out that Jesus maybe just never died. Maybe he was kind of just comatose. And sometime after the cross, he came back to himself. But the Romans were experts at crucifixion. And even if it was so, he would have been crucified had enough strength to roll the stone away. The, the, the conspiracy theories just don't fit. We are told today, modern man is told constantly, now stop trusting the experts. But do your own research. Search it out. Yes, do your own research. God's been saying that for centuries. This is not new. This is why he gave us scripture for. This is why he gave us four accounts of this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God's desire is, yes, search it out. Look for yourself. See the evidence. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is believable. It's believable for many reasons. But first of all, there, there were, this is eyewitness accounts of what took place. Jesus' death was a very public death. People saw it. They knew who he was. They experienced it. And he had this, then this just very public resurrection. And even as Mark wrote this, for a few years later, he, he names these people. He, he names them so that people can go and talk to them and see if it's really true what took place. The, uh, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, after Jesus died, he was seen by many people. 
Over 500 people saw them. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he even names some of the people. The reason that he names them specifically is so the people who read that for the first time could say, see, go ask them. If you want to know if it's true, go ask them, talk to them about it. There was, it was a very public death, very public resurrection. Jesus showed himself. People grabbed his body. They touched his feet and they held on to him. The tomb was empty. It's eyewitness testimony. And the eyewitness testimony the Gospels give is they name women, which back in that time, they, they were, were not even considered a credible piece of evidence. So if they were going to make it up, they would not have said that women were the ones who found Jesus first and came to the empty tomb. It's an empty tomb. It's filled with eyewitness testimony. And the impact on Jesus' disciples is undeniable. How do 11 scared to death and one who's denied him men see their Savior die, run away and hide, and then hear that he rose from the dead? And if it was a lie, let themselves die for it like almost every one of them did. People will live for lies, but they won't die for lies. If these 11 guys said, let's make up the story that he rose, they'd carry that for a while. But when they started to kill them, someone would break. None of them did. Not only did none of them break, we exist today. We're here because of these 11 men and women who shared this story that has had impact around the world. One of them was James, Jesus' biological brother. Let's say Jesus rose from the dead. He was a good brother. James followed him. He worshipped him. James called him God, his own brother. For at the beginning, James didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He was just his brother. He didn't have his faith in him. And, and, and let's say even if he did die and raise from the dead, James was his brother. James lived with him. He knew what he was like, and he could have raised from the dead and been a bad guy. But James saw Jesus not only as risen from the dead, but as the Holy One from God without sin. He saw his righteousness, and he believed in him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is believable from examination and from intelligent examination. There's a man named Simon Greenleaf who is a founding faculty member of Harvard Law School. Brilliant. He wrote the book on a treatise on the law of evidences that was used in courts for centuries, for, for decades, on how you actually discover witness evidence and how do you show what's true. He was an expert in this. He was an expert in how to prove things to be true. He was an atheist, didn't believe in God, and he was teaching at Harvard years ago, and his, he would say things about the resurrection, and his, some of his students said, Dr. Greenleaf, you are the expert on evidence. You're the expert on eyewitness evidence. If, if anybody can prove or disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's, it's you. Would you try? And Simon Greenleaf said, oh, yeah, I'll try. So he tried. He went and examined the evidence. He examined the, 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 the truth, the eyewitness accounts, and he searched it out, and he came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. Smart people 
have believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't have to check your brain out to believe that Jesus rose from the, the dead. C.S. Lewis, which we watched a movie about this last week, was a scholar who, who didn't want to believe in God. But as he looked at the reality of truth and he looked at evidences, he became what he himself claimed to be a reluctant convert because he couldn't get past the fact that it's true. Jesus rose from the dead. J.R. Tolkien, all these highly intelligent people who have studied and researched things out, they have come and looked at the evidence and said it's believable. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is believable. Even a number of years ago, Lee Strobel, who was a hardened atheist, Chicago Tribune reporter, a legal editor, prize-winning for the Chicago Tribune, his wife became a Christian, and he says, I'm going to prove Christianity wrong. I'm going to look at the evidence like I would look at every other case. And he did it, and he studied it for two years until he came to the conclusion that Jesus Christ is alive. He rose from the, the dead. The evidence shows it. it. It's not a check out of your brain to believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. It's, it's believable. And maybe you are a little skeptical. And maybe you even show up for Sunday after Sunday, but deep down you still wonder, is this true? I want to just encourage you to dig in, to question it, to question your doubts as you doubt, and examine the evidence. And if you have questions, and you wonder, where do I go for the research? You can ask me. I would be glad to help you from as little to as much information is you could see to help you examine it. God wants us to examine the evidence. He wants us to use our brains. He wants us to think and to see. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is believable. Smart people have studied it and found it believable. Average people have studied it and found it believable. The evidence is overwhelming that Jesus rose from the dead and no one and 2,000 years have been able to prove it otherwise. It's believable. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is just more than believable. It's beautiful. The story of Jesus is beautiful. What, what makes it so beautiful? It's an absolutely bold story. The story is unbelievably bold that God gave us. He gave it all through the Bible, which is 66 books over 1,500 years. It tells this amazing story. Spread Truth did a whole thing about how it connects the story of God from the beginning. It's the story of stories. Things are good, things go bad, we need help. Some rescuer comes in and he saves us and things go well. That's the deepest story that all of us like. Watch any movie that you watch. Check any movie that you really, really love. It all has the same story. Where does that same story come from? Go to any country in the world and say, well, what, what story do you like? They like to hear a story of where things are good, then there's a conflict, and then there's problems, and then there's a rescuer, and things are taken care of. Why is that that that's the story in every human being that we love to see, we love to hear, because it's the ultimate story that exists. It's the story of Jesus. It's an unbelievably bold story, which makes it beautiful. And we love it. And it's not just this bold story for elite people. It's a bold story for ordinary people. What makes the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Christianity so amazing is it's, it's for ordinary people. 
There was Mary, Mary Magdalene, James, the mother of Salome. Just average, normal, ordinary people who God loves. And he calls them. We watched a Good Friday service Friday night from a church down in Nashville. And as they were doing the service, they would call people up and they would take communion. They would read some scripture over them. As I'm watching this service of people who, it was just nice to, to watch and to, and to see as they, these normal, ordinary people came up thinking about Jesus and the resurrection. People with jobs and pressures who probably rushed to get there that night. Walking up with their kids, people of all shapes, all sizes, all mental capacities, all situations, all aspects of life. They, just, they were just coming and coming to Jesus. The story of the Bible is for ordinary people. It's this unbelievably bold story that has these big open arms. It says, for all who will come. It's an unbelievably bold, ordinary story, but it's an amazing love story that says this is the hope that we have, that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins. Peter, who denied Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he said, you put that on the screen, Eric. <laughs> Sorry. Galatians says, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God, our Father. This is an amazing love story where God would come and out of great love for us, people who were against him, he, Jesus said he would go willingly to the cross Isaiah 54, 3 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. It's an unbelievable, bold, ordinary love story that's nothing but ordinary. The people who are against God, who had no desire for God, God says, I love them, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna send a rescuer, a savior for them. And the savior said, you don't have to send me, I'm, I'm willingly going, I want to go, I wanna give my life for them. The, the greater love has no one than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friends. This is the beautiful story of the gospel, that Jesus did that for his enemies. When we were enemies, Jesus loved us so much that he went to the cross for us. It's bold, it's an ordinary, for ordinary people, it's a love story. And this story drives and continues to drive acts of love. You look at any situation around the world, any tragedy, any event, and there will be Christians participating in it. Moved by the love of God, that's what takes them there. This continual desire to do Good. A couple years ago, there was a man named Nicholas Kristof, who's a New York Times writer. He's not a Christian. From his own admission, he's not a follower of Jesus Christ, but he's been fascinated by Christians and about faith, and he writes about it all the time. And a number of years ago, a number of years ago he wrote an article, I think in 2015, and he said this, the character of Christians 
is incomplete and unfair. Although I have little in common politically or theologically, but I've been truly awed by those I've seen in so many remote places combating illiteracy and warlords, famine and disease, humbly struggling to do the Lord's work. The gospel is a beautiful story because it not only is a picture of what Jesus Christ did for us, but it motivates people to do unbelievable acts of love for other people because they know what Jesus Christ has done for them. This is why at this church we could have 20-some years of a food pantry, people showing up here on Tuesdays just to serve other people, or clothing pantries, or we have a missionary single woman who gave her life to go to Bangladesh and for almost 40 years now has given her life to be a nurse in the middle of Bangladesh, a place that nobody knows, in some hospital that nobody cares about with people that most people in the world cannot care about. But her life is not a tragedy and it's not a waste because the gospel is a beautiful picture of someone giving their life for others and we are to continue to do that. Continue to find ways to do good. Continue to consider how to make much of Christ by doing good deeds. Consider how to do good. Ask God, how can you be more like Christ by serving him more, showing this beautiful story of the gospel to others, it's a beautiful story. A friend of mine recently was telling the story about when he got his family a new dog. They looked, went to the, to the vets, looked at it a number of days. He decided to bring it home, not tell anybody. He pulled in, he brought it home. His boys came running over to it. They just couldn't believe it. And he's running around, he's just so happy. And then after about a half hour, 40 minutes of the boys playing with it, one of his sons came up to him and said to his dad, it's like a dream but it's true. That's the gospel. We look at the story of Jesus. It's like a dream, but it's true. Someone did love you so much that he came to earth to give his life for your sins so that you could have hope. It's believable and it's beneficial. Why does the resurrection matter? The resurrection matters. What's it mean today? How does it help us today? The resurrection matters. It's beneficial for us because it's not that Jesus was. It's that Jesus is. His resurrection means that Jesus is still acting, working, looking, praying for us, which means there's great hope for different types of people. This morning, because of the resurrection, the gospel means that Jesus is for damaged people that can, they can have hope. If you're damaged, you, you look at your life and think, it's, it's a mess. There's no hope. Jesus rose from the dead. The angel told the ladies, go tell his disciples and Peter. Peter, the one who had denied him, the one who said he didn't have anything, wouldn't have anything to do with him, Jesus said, you know what? I'm risen. There's hope for Peter. Let him know it's going to be okay. If you think you have no hope, that your life is just such a mess, the resurrection of Jesus says that damage could be made right. All wrongs will be made right. There's great hope for you. The resurrection says that there's hope for drained people. 
Do you feel like your life battery is on really low? You're just about drained, you're, you're weary. Maybe it's because of guilt. Maybe because it's shame. Maybe because it's hurt. Maybe because it's just brokenness, just fractures everywhere, and you're trying really hard. But your life battery feels drained. The resurrection says there's hope for you. Jesus is for you. God is not against the mess that he sees of your life. He's not against you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. If you're just barely holding on, the resurrection says Jesus will hold you. He's going to keep holding you. As you trust in him, there's great hope for you. The resurrection says there's hope for dead people. Spiritually dead people and physically dead people. We've lost some people physically in the last couple years from our church. We've done their funerals. But there's hope for us. Jesus himself, because of his resurrection, everything he said before his life then means it's true. With death, for the Christian, there's always resurrection. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. The resurrection says we don't have to live for this life only. There is a greater life to come. Johnny Erickson Tata, for almost 50 years, has been in a wheelchair, paraplegic from the age of 17. When I was in college, I went to see her up in Chicago speak, and I'll never forget what she said. She's in her wheelchair, speaking, and she goes, when I get to heaven, I'm going to dance the two-step. And I can't wait to dance the two-step. That was almost 30 years ago she said that. And she's continued to be in that chair to this day. But one day, because of Jesus' resurrection, there will be a bodily, physical change for her. and She will dance the two-step. And so will all those who put their hope in Jesus Christ. It's a breathless story. The women hear this. They hear the resurrection. It's the empty tomb. It's all empty. They're stunned. They're dumbfounded by this. And it says in verse 8, they, they, were, they were speechless. They're almost breathless. Mark, in many ways, ends his gospel here. To the question, like, what are they going to do? Are they going to tell anybody? Or, or are they just going to stay there in fear and astonishment and amazement? They're overwhelmed by the news. About a week ago, I was at a hospital to visit a family, and I sat down at the waiting room and waiting for the family, and I had my phone, and I put my wallet on the side and waited for the family. The family came. I got up and went to be with them, and I was walking out. And you ever been in a situation where you're in a room, walking through a room, and there's a lot of people, and someone says, hey, hey, or ma'am, ma'am, or sir, sir. You don't really know that they're talking to you, and you just hear this call out. Well, I had been with the family I was walking out back into the, to the um, waiting area, and there's a whole bunch of people in there, and I hear this, sir, 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 sir. I didn't think, finally I looked, and they were talking to me. 
And she said, I, I took your wallet and I gave it to the front desk. When someone says, I took your wallet, you didn't have a wallet for the last 45 minutes. It was left by itself. Your, all your, everything about your life is there, all your credit cards, all your information. You're breathless. It was almost like you're fearful. What's going to happen? She said, I took your wallet and I gave it to the office. So I walked over to the office, told them my name, and they, they gave me my treasure. They gave me my wallet. And before we just leave this morning, I want to say to every one of you, hey, hey, sir, ma'am, I'm talking to you. You. Jesus loves you. He came for you. The resurrection is true for you. If you feel damaged, you feel too drained, you do feel depleted, you think that God's not for you, it's not true. The treasure is there with Jesus. All you have to do is admit you've lost something, which is sin. We've lost a relationship with God. Acknowledge it and turn and receive it in faith. All I had to do to get my wallet back was admit I'm an idiot. I left it, confess it, and go get my treasure. The gospel's the same way. It's a free gift for you. What will you do with it? What are you doing with it? Breathe it in. Jesus is alive. And then breathe it out. It's the hope the world needs to hear. Jesus' death means there's hope for damaged, drained, dead people. And we can have hope. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. If you believe, you have eternal hope. If you don't believe, I have no hope for you. But Jesus is risen. He's alive. Trust in him.